1: Dr. Maxwell Self is sort of giddy. He's been a family doctor in southeastern Kansas for more than 20 years, but it wasn't until recently that he began to feel like the captain of a starship.
2: Kind of like Jean-Luc Picard, and I just say, make it so, number one.
1: Dr. Self used to work at Mercy Hospital, Fort Scott. It was the only hospital in this small town. Now, he works at the community health center that opened after Mercy Hospital closed. The clinic occupies a portion of the same physical space as the old hospital, but here they do things differently. Doing his same old job, but in this new place, means these days the doctor gets something called a scribe.
2: And what that means is that uh, I don't have to type anymore, okay, so I get to focus on people, right, and do what I do best, which is think and talk. And smile and shake hands. My new job description is more of like a celebrity, you know, where I walk in out of room and shake hands.
1: Eliza Oliver has brought her toddler for a wellness check. Taylin is a bit shy, but she's watching the doctor carefully and has a smile at the ready.
2: Can you say ah for me first and then I'll give it to you? Ah, uh, open for me. And then I'll let you hold it. Look at that.
1: Taylin is two years old. Big brother Corbin leans over to his sister and shows her how to say ah for the doctor.
2: Oh, perfect! She'll do anything he does. Oh, there you go, <laughs> there you go. So that's fantastic. When you have,
1: you
2: yeah, when you have a big brother that can show the way, you're golden.
1: Doctor Self is paying close yep. attention to what they say to right. each other and to him. <laughs>
2: you got good-looking shoes. These are boy
3: shoes.
2: You betcha. Good job. So, any 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 other thoughts, concerns, questions?
3: Um, no, part? I don't really have any concerns for her. She hasn't been I, sick or anything, and. I'll find she does really good, sleeping well and everything like that. All right. did
1: we, did we Watching Dr. Self and her? his staff taking care of oh, patients helps me realize something. Fort Scott may have lost its hospital, but the town didn't lose all of its health care. Strawberry? Oh, I or
4: this one is raspberry? Uh, that one. Okay, you can I want have that, that one.
2: And which what one you... did you
4: want? Uh,
5: that yeah. one? That Thank, Thank, Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye, cuties. See you in six months.
1: <laughs> the Community Health Center of Southeast Kansas is the biggest health care news in Fort Scott. The health center moved into town and is filling gaps, providing care in ways that the hospital never could. But there is health care still missing. We can't forget some of the people we've met who ended up worse off when Marcy left, struggling financially, trying to get emergency care and cancer treatment. And there's one more big thing that nearly everyone here worries about. There's no place to have a baby in Fort Scott. I asked Dr. Self, did you deliver babies here?
2: For 10 years, yeah.
1: So what about that, that's gone?
2: That's great. a great question. Um,
1: uh... So I'm off again to find answers. I'm Sarah Jane Tribble. This is Where It Hurts. Season one is No Mercy, a podcast from Cajun and St. Louis Public Radio.
5: If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public
1: Radio. when I meet Barrett Beckham, he's so quiet and sweet. Barrett's just a few months old, and as his eyes flicker open, it's clear he's hungry. His mother, Cherise Beckham, and I have been talking about Mercy Hospital. So what was your thought process when you heard the hospital was closing?
6: Well, initially, I kind of was twofold why it really upset me. Initially, I cried. A lot because I would be losing my job as well as losing a place to have my baby.
1: Cherise Beckham lost her job as a dietitian at Mercy Hospital Fort Scott when it closed. At the same time, she was expecting Barrett. He's her second. Cherise's first child, Warren, is about two years old. He was born at Mercy, and there couldn't be a bigger difference between the two deliveries. Cherise turned out to be my guide for two things— understanding how much more difficult it can be to have a baby when a town loses its full-service maternity care. And later, when she gets a new job, she gives me a front row seat to the new vision for healthcare in Fort Scott. It's Friday night at Charisse and Tanner Beckham's house, and it's getting pretty wild. Their toddler, Warren, is bouncing around the living room, racing his toy cars. Charisse is in the kitchen cooking, and I'm in the living room with Dad, Tanner. He and Warren have rigged up a makeshift Hot Wheels track with a board propped up from the top of the ottoman so the cars can fly down to the floor. (laughs) This is exactly what my husband used to do when our boy was about two. We still have the cars. Anyway, as Warren plays, his Dad, Tanner, tells me a love story. How did you and Charisse meet?
3: We've actually always been family friends.
1: This is a good time to note. Charisse's dad is city manager Dave Martin, the town leader who was so angry that Mercy Hospital closed. Tanner had his first crush on Charisse in grade school.
3: She was a high school cheerleader and actually came over for, like, Tiger Days. So the cheerleaders would come over with the football players. And uh, ever since then and ever since we were, you know, our parents knew each other. And always just ran around together. So we, like I said, we've just known each other for a long time. So.
1: Cherise went away to college and came back here. It was a choice. They wanted to build their family in Fort Scott. Their family story feels like something that could only happen in a small town. Tanner is an engineer for the big window manufacturer in town. After Cherise lost her job at Mercy, she took a new one at the new health center, which everyone calls CHC. Cherise does nutrition counseling. Healthy eating isn't just a professional passion for Charisse; it's personal. I can see that as she makes dinner. I look across the countertop, she has all of her ingredients in prep mode. So, Sharice, this looks all very healthy. You've got cilantro flavoring the rice, you've got black bean burgers with onions, and I think I see some avocado over there. Like, very healthy. Okay, can you send me the recipe for these black bean burgers? They do look good. um, When their older son Warren was born, the biggest worry Charisse and Tanner had was how long Charisse should labor at home before going to the hospital. In fact, Charisse was so confident everything was good that maybe she waited too long to go to the hospital. Luckily, the hospital was just a few minutes away.
6: I had contractions where I could feel my body was wanting to push. So I walked into labor and delivery, and they checked me, and they're like, Uh, you're complete. We can see his head. And so they called the doctor, and she ran down. I remember her, like, running in, and her hair was all, like, wild because she had ran from clinic, and they just gowned her up, and, you know, we had him. So that one was really fast.
1: (laughs) Warren was born in, like, 15 minutes. More than 230 babies were born at Mercy during its last full year of operation, And there's a tradition in this town of less than 8,000 people. When a new baby is born, their name and picture is posted on a tall sign out by the highway, where everyone driving by can see it. There's a tremendous sense of place that comes from being born in a small town. Ask anyone. Me? I'm Parsons, Kansas, population 9,600. Katie Bacchus-Cosimonel is a public health researcher who studies maternal health, She says the loss of maternity care in rural America can damage a community's soul, hurt people's sense of identity, and it can be deadly.
4: It's so important that we address the maternal and infant mortality crisis in this country. And my own research shows that rural moms have a 9% increased chance of maternal morbidity or mortality, so dying or nearly dying in childbirth. However it's also really important that we do better than did you not die.
1: Katie directs the University of Minnesota Rural Health Research Center. Katie said the research on where women live in relation to obstetrics care is a bit old, 2013. That research found that more than 15% of residents in certain rural areas lived more than 30 miles from the nearest hospital where they could give birth. They lived in places like Fort Scott, in counties where there wasn't a town over the size of 10,000 residents. And it becomes so much more challenging for expectant mothers when they have to plan for travel. Experts like Katie are watching how the reality of hospital closures and scared pregnant mothers-to-be collide.
4: When a hospital decides to close its doors or close its maternity ward, the risks that are associated with potential emergencies or medical needs, they don't go away with the hospital, they stay in that community, and they stay with the individuals and families that have to sit around and come up with a plan.
1: There's a lot to plan around. Making sure you have gas in the car, or even access to a car, knowing who's going to watch the other children, and worrying about having enough time to get to the hospital when the baby is ready to come, all become much bigger concerns when a hospital is 30 or 40 miles or more away.
4: That burden is real, it's palpable for people, and the stress of that is really difficult for families as they are planning for what should be one of the most joyful times in their lives, welcoming a new baby. And they're busy worrying about the logistics of how you get to the hospital and if things are gonna be okay
1: once you get there. When Mercy Hospital shut down, Sharice Beckham was just a few months from delivering her youngest, Barrett. His birth would have been complicated anywhere, but the fact that her local hospital had closed meant in the end, she and Tanner traveled to three hospitals in two states to deliver one baby. Charisse's doctor still had an office in town for routine prenatal clinic visits, but it wasn't equipped for emergencies. And just about a month before her baby was due, Charisse was
6: really uncomfortable. The pain in her lower abdomen was almost unbearable. I just kept thinking, like, it will go away. I You know, I was, like, laying on the floor. I laid in the recliner. I laid upside down in the recliner, like, thinking if I can just get the baby's weight off. But it was just this pain that would not go away. And, you know, at least with labor, you get, like, a break. And, no, it was, like, worse than labor. Like, I was, like, almost in tears. So Charisse's doctor sent her to a hospital in the next town over, more than 30 miles away. There's, you know, nothing really she could do at the clinic for me at that point in time since we couldn't really figure out what was going on. That hospital figured
1: out that the baby was blocking Charisse's kidneys. They sent her 100 miles north to another hospital in Kansas City for more specialty care. After a few days, the doctors there stabilized her, and Charisse wanted to get back home to Fort Scott. She spent the rest of her pregnancy on bed rest, but she was still uncomfortable and worried. After that, it was clear that the birth would be complicated. So Charisse's doctor in Fort Scott decided that the best plan was to induce labor, They scheduled the delivery to happen back at that first hospital, the one more than 30 miles away. Tanner's voice gets shaky when he talks about what happened next. Even after the doctor induced the labor, Barrett couldn't get out. His little hand was reaching out, but his head wouldn't slide forward. The doctors rushed to perform an emergency C-section.
3: If something would have happened, if labor would have happened naturally whenever we were at home, if her water would have broken just like it was supposed to when we were at home, I'm confident Barrett wouldn't be here with us. I had talked to the doctors that actually performed the emergency C-section and pulled Barrett out of her and said that if this would have happened anywhere but at the hospital, I would have been pulling a dead baby out of your wife. So that was really hard to hear. It was hard to hear him say it like that. So just knowing that if that would have happened... I don't know, that's something you'll just never forget.
1: Their baby boy had gone without oxygen for at least 11 minutes, maybe 15. The doctor told Tanner.
3: He had said that it was a true relief to hear him cry, because if he didn't hear him cry, to that point he had thought Barrett, he wasn't alive. Just because he had gone without oxygen and was just in such a bad state.
1: Wow, is is that who I hear now, Barrett, in the background? Yes,
3: Barrett is awake.
1: Seemingly on cue, Barrett wakes from his nap. Because of the lack of oxygen, right after he was born, Barrett was sent to a third hospital. He needed neonatal intensive care. The family spent the first days of Barrett's life at a bigger hospital in Missouri, more than an hour from home. As we finish talking, Tanner goes to get Barrett, and I head into the kitchen to see Sharice. The kitchen faucet is running and she's chopping an onion. There's music playing, and I turn around and see Tanner rocking Barrett on his hip. The baby is seven months old and so alert, watching everything, holding his head up high. Tanner says he used to worry about
3: what happened at the delivery,
1: but now that the baby is hitting all his milestones.
3: It doesn't worry me so much anymore. He seems like a totally normal baby from what I know.
1: That's really all any parent can ask for. I can't help but think about what researcher Katie bacchus Cosimonal told me. She said our measurement of success must be better than, did you not die? Charisse didn't die. Baby Barrett seems healthy. But the beginning of his life didn't need to be so difficult and full of stress. Not having a place to deliver a baby safely is a strike against any small town's future. In Fort Scott, a big green and white community health center sign has replaced Mercy's name on the front of the hospital building. CHC isn't some small health clinic with a few doctor's offices and nurses. This location is part of a big regional health center with more than a dozen locations throughout southeastern Kansas and Oklahoma. Clinics like these are a big part of the solution for rural towns that have lost their hospital, towns like Fort Scott. I'm here to watch Sharice Beckham at work. She talks about being part of a team of people who put together
6: individual plans for each patient. I love that and I love that they push that and they push you know us working with the doctors closely and just looking, approaching it as the more people that can touch and reach these patients, the better chance they have to be a healthier version of themselves.
1: When a patient named Becky arrives, Sharice has a list of questions that help her figure out if the patient makes healthy choices on a daily basis. Immediately, she begins asking what Becky eats.
6: Okay, what about veggies? How often do you eat those?
1: Usually when we have a meal at night, okay. a, a real meal, mm-hmm. we usually
5: do um, the meat and the vegetable.
1: Okay. I try to stay away from starches and potatoes and all that kind of stuff, but it's hard with little kids in the house. Cherise gives bits of advice make sure the label on bread says whole wheat as opposed to enriched wheat flour. Cherise asks about what kind of milk she drinks and how often she eats fruits and sweets. Becky says her weight sits right at 302 pounds. Becky's doctor sent her to Cherise to work on weight management. I really don't eat. That's
6: my whole problem. I don't understand. I can't, but I don't exercise like I should because of my job, I think. What's your job?
1: I work for skill. Becky's job is to care for elderly people, cleaning house and helping them with their daily lives. It's the kind of job that requires her to get up really early every morning. I leave the two of them to talk about changes Becky can make to improve her health. The whole idea here is to meet people where they are and make sure they have what they need to be healthy. At CHC's headquarters, I hear this play out firsthand while waiting in the lobby. I was eavesdropping as the receptionist toggled phone calls. She was trying to arrange a ride for a patient who needed an appointment. Jason Wesco is CHC's executive vice president, and he tells me they find rides for patients all the time. I also want to ask Jason about the scribes, the new employees who set in on each patient visit and take notes for the doctors. Remember Dr. Self, the family physician who's feeling like a celebrity since starting his job at CHC? How could CHC afford to give him a scribe, but Mercy Hospital couldn't?
0: Shouldn't his best, biggest brain be focused on the four things you're there for? So for some of our physicians who have practiced for a while, like Dr. Self, it makes a lot of sense. They can see more patients, they can be more efficient, and they're happier having a scribe.
1: This is all very idyllic, but of course this is what healthcare providers want. And of course they've wanted this all along, how can you do it when others can't
0: because we care about it
1: but no we, we, the, the money has to be there
0: <laughs> no, sure but but watch everything in this organization we've always done the right thing first and the money has followed we it always happened, and that doesn't mean we're pollyanna-ish we know what we're doing 100 percent know what we're doing but if i know that i can give dr self another staff member, and he can see five more patients a day, and he can be happy, and the patients can be happy, why wouldn't I do that? Of course I could do that, right? And we sure, we have a reimbursement mechanism that helps us do that, but I am tired of it always being about money.
1: CHC is technically a federally qualified health center. That means it gets extra federal money that Mercy Hospital didn't have access to. They can apply for grants that the hospital also didn't qualify for. Jason tells me that 90-95% to of the health services that were being offered before the hospital closed are still in Fort Scott. I bring up that worry that so many locals have, that they can't deliver a baby in Fort Scott anymore. Jason says they'd like to have a birthing center, but it's not really realistic anytime soon. CHC has tried to recruit an oncologist to provide cancer care, but that hasn't worked either. And maybe, he says, these things, a birthing center and cancer care, are services the community can learn to live without.
0: Easy for me to say, right? But maybe we have to believe that this isn't so terrible. Maybe we have to believe that if we are going to do this right, and that means the Community Health Center Southeast Kansas, the people of Bourbon County, that maybe we have to go without something to decide what it is that we want. Because in the past... I don't know that it was a big conversation. I think Mercy, it was a Mercy town.
1: It's no longer a Mercy town. Family physician Maxwell Self worked for Mercy Hospital for more than two decades and was on the hospital's board when it closed. As a CHC doctor, he sees a difference between the then and now.
2: What I see though is that what CHC says really has teeth and there's there's real follow through. I have a lot more, I feel like freedom to take care of people the way I want to and to get them what they need.
1: That means giving away medicine or offering it at a steep discount.
2: We're gonna do a better and better job as CHC has moved in taking care of the down and out. The uninsured, folks who struggle to get their medicine, their insulin, it's not a problem anymore. I think our community is gonna get healthier, actually. I think it's a good future.
1: As I was closing out my time in town, I asked a lot of people what they thought the future of Fort Scott looked like. Roxine Posnick worked at Mercy for more than two decades. She felt like she lost family when she lost her job at Mercy.
3: I think Fort Scott would probably go downhill because we have lost more businesses than just the hospital lately. I don't see a bright future. (laughs) That's about all I can say, I guess.
1: City Manager Dave Martin has a different take. He tells me...
2: Well, I think we will have a very nice clinic, and I think we will be very comfortable with our health care.
1: He's come a long way. And then there's Rita Baker, the executive who had shut down Mercy Hospital. Rita took a new job with, who else, the Community Health Center of Southeast Kansas.
5: As my career ended with Mercy, I had a month off and realized I was not ready to retire. I still wanted to give to
1: the communities that I had spent my life supporting. Rita's recruiting doctors to the region. She hopes to have more doctors like Dr. Self, who will fall in love with Southeastern Kansas. It is a hard recruit. You
5: have to find people who want to live in a rural setting and that are invested in some manner in the communities that they're gonna practice in so they will stay. We don't want them to be there just long enough to pay off their student loans and then be gone. We want them to build a career and stay here and take care of our communities.
1: As you likely know by now, I always have one more question before I end an interview. In 10 to 20 years, what does Fort Scott look like as a community itself?
5: It will never be a booming metropolis, but I think in reality, it can be what it is today, if not a little bit stronger and a little bit better with some more businesses in it. Uh, When you drive to Kansas City, Kansas City keeps getting closer and it can almost be a bedroom community
1: for Kansas City. Rita knows this is not the answer I'm hoping for. After a year of seeing loss and pain, and some glimmers of hope that the health care that's in Fort Scott now will help. I need her to say it. And you didn't mention that it will have a hospital. I don't believe it will have a
5: hospital. I don't believe it needs a hospital.
1: The story of Mercy Hospital Fort Scott began in 1886. Two Sisters of Mercy stepped off a train planning to open a school. The town said what they actually needed was a hospital, and they got one. 132 years later, the hospital is gone. There's no mercy. For the people of Fort Scott and millions more who live in rural America, no hospital means jobs go away, healthcare disappears, and crushingly, part of the community's soul dies. This season of Where It Hurts is hosted and reported by me, Sarah Jane Tribble. More than 130 rural hospitals have closed in the past decade. More than 30 since we started this project. As other hospitals disappear, the question is whether these towns can adapt without disappearing themselves. Fort Scott is beginning to show us how this is possible. The work on this podcast has changed my life for the better. Thank you to the people of Fort Scott for their honesty and courage in telling their stories. And thank you to you, the listener, for having an open heart for people you've never met. Please stay tuned and watch your podcast feed. We're planning several short bonus episodes. We've got some extra scenes to share and we'll send audio postcards from Fort Scott and the people you've met this season. We already have a couple of updates. Fort Scott City Manager Dave Martin retired during the airing of this podcast his retirement was not related to Mercy Hospital's closure. And Roxine Posnick, the former Mercy Hospital employee who owned Books and Grannies in downtown Fort Scott, died as we were producing this final chapter of our story. Roxine was kind and gracious and loved listening to NPR. She was 73 years old. And one last time this season, here are the people who made this podcast possible. Tarina Lofton is our production assistant. Tanya English, Managing Editor and Managing Producer for the podcast, is Jen's Senior Editor for Broadcast Innovation. Greg Montanou at St. Louis Public Radio is our amazing sound and design mix master who made me smile every day. Diane Weber, National Editor for Broadcast, and Elizabeth Rosenthal, Editor-in-Chief at Kaiser Health News, are editorial liaisons to the show. Carrie Donahue and Carrie Feibel lent their expertise to this episode. Just a note, I used the county health rankings research by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. It was the backbone for much of the reporting in this series. Dr. Gianfranco Pizzino at the Kansas Health Institute steadily guided me through health outcomes data. And my former boss, Mark Rosenberger, provided much-needed encouragement early on. Season one, No Mercy, is dedicated to my sister, Maggie. The podcast is a co-production with St. Louis Public Radio and Kaiser Health News. A nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. KHN is an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation.